Once you grab your Bibles, we're going to turn to the book of Hebrews. I know I, I did listen to Adam's sermon. He preached the first Sunday of the year, and I'll spare you my New Year's jokes because he had plenty. But I do want to just encourage our hearts as we begin a year together. And before we launch into to what we have before us this morning and this year, let me pray. Father, we thank you for, for times and seasons. In the one sense, it's just a, a changing of a date on a calendar. But in another sense, your word proclaims that you are a God of times and seasons. In fact, as you walk the earth, you criticized the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time. You said, you know how to discern the weather patterns, but you have no idea about the times and the seasons and the calendar of heaven. And Father, we want to be a people who know what your will is. We thank you that you are a good shepherd who leads us and guides us. That we as your sheep, you've promised, as we incline our ears, will hear your voice. So I pray this year in general and this morning, Lord, that you give us listening ears to hear what it is that the Spirit is saying to us. Vision Church, 2024, the year that's before us. Father, I pray that you would uh, give us an ear personally to hear what it is you're saying to each and every one of us in our walk with you. Father, we pray that this would be a year of really stepping out in a new and a fresh way, in your purposes, in your plans. We don't want to move ahead of you. We don't want to lag behind. We want to stay in step, in sync with you. May this be a year where we know the leading of your spirit. Lead us forward. We need you. We look to you, our good shepherd. This morning, Lord, help us as we incline our hearts and our ears to scripture to hear your voice. Do what you desire, we pray, for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, it is a new year, and as I said, Adam had some jokes about New Year's resolutions. I won't ask for a show of hands either how many people are still continuing on their New Year's resolutions. But I always think it's important, although we're, in the one sense, as I pray, just turning a page in the calendar, there is a sense, or certainly for me, a a need, a desire as a new year begins to seek the Lord. Lord, what is it that you have for us? And sometimes it's just keep going, keep plodding along, be faithful with what I put you before you. Sometimes there is. There's a few different directions, different things that the Lord uh, lays upon my heart personally. Sometimes it sings in the midst of the church. Sometimes it's in a, a broader or a different setting. And so there is a, a couple of things that I want to get to. And really this morning, I want to give us a scriptural focus. That's always good. Amen. I want to anchor everything that we do, or I do personally, that we do as a church in God's Word. That is the foundation. It's what we, we hang everything that we have upon. So I want to give us a word. I want to just paint a picture of some things in a broader context. And I want to give us this morning just one uh, takeaway action point, if you like. There, there'll be a number of things this year, and I'm sure you'll hear this message, and you'll be like, oh, what about X, Y, and Z? Well, just be patient. One, one thing at a time. It's not the only foundation, but there is something for us, I believe, as a church this morning, something that is a little bit different and exciting that we want to step into and do that together. So hopefully, Lord willing, we'll uh, get at least a good way there with those three goals and aims. So if you've got your Bibles, Hebrews 10. I'm going to spend some time. This is the... Uh, 
The book of the Bible that the Lord's put on my heart, I've been journeying through this book again. I want to uh, spend some time in this particular portion of Scripture together as a church family. I know we did a whole year series last year in the book of Romans. I'm endeavoring that this won't be quite as long, but I, I just think there's something important and powerful for us this year. Hebrews is, and I'll, I'll set this up more uh, next week, but for those who've been around for any of our Bible studies, you'll know that we normally don't begin at the beginning. I mean, who wants to, who wants to do things the normal way? We, we tend to go somewhere else and then set the scene and come back. And in fact, this, uh, this past week, I came across a, um, a professor, uh, an author, a theologian by the name of Scott McKnight. And the, the title that grabbed my attention, of he's, he's a prolific writer, written many books, but he has this whole series. The, the book that grabbed my attention was Reading Romans Backwards, and he's got Reading John's Gospel Backwards. He's got a whole, whole series of different books, and he makes exactly the same point. He says, so often it is it's helpful as we approach a book or a portion of Scripture to read it backwards, if you like, to try and grab the main point of the author. What is it that that the Holy Spirit's inspired through this particular writer for this particular group of people. And if you grab a hold of that, then it can give you some useful context as you then launch into and read through a more detailed account of what is before us. And I think that is the case. Certainly it was for Romans and for many of the other Bible studies that we've done. And so for Hebrews chapter 10, there's, there's this important therefore. And as we'll go back and look in the coming weeks, we'll see that the author, and we don't actually know who the author of the book of Hebrews is. There's a, a few good theories out there, uh, which we may or may not cover. But obviously, the Holy Spirit saw fit uh, for us to have a letter that is, is written, certainly considered inspired, and part of the canon that is authorless. But the author is very intentional as this book unfolds to give us these pictures of Jesus. That's front and center. And he uses some of this Old Testament imagery, some old analogies, but he talks about Jesus. He's, he's greater than angels. He's greater than Moses. He's the great high priest. He's the ultimate authority. He's the ultimate leader. He's the ultimate priest. He's the ultimate savior. He's the ultimate king. He preaches his great Christology, this incredible journey as, as Scripture declares and proclaims as the purposes of God reveal the greatness and the majesty and the might of Jesus. And so that's what I'm hoping that as we go through this series that we will see in a, a clearer, in a more real and radical way, a big and a bold and a mighty and a beautiful and a victorious and a saving Jesus. So that's, that's the essence. If you like, there you go. There's the book, of, the book of Hebrews in an outline. But the question I want to answer this morning is, is why? Why is he going to such efforts and such lengths to present what is a detailed, what's a, a theological, an, an in-depth account and portrayal and picture of Jesus? And we get this wonderful therefore in Hebrews chapter 10 that I believe gives us this insight into what hopefully will pull this all together. Hebrews 10, 19. This is where we're going to begin this year, this series. And it says this, Therefore, brothers, therefore, family. He's writing to people that he loves and knows. Right? Always important context. This is not written as 
uh, some, of, some of his other writings, or you know, as Paul debates the philosophy, it's written to family. It's written to people that he loves and that he knows. He says, therefore, brothers, therefore, family, people, people that we love and we do, we do life together. He says, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that's opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, bodies washed with pure water, Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I'm going to pause there. So I said, we'll come back and we'll unpack and unfold some of these pictures. He says, therefore, since you've seen this picture of this great and mighty Jesus, this one who's made a way, this one who is a sure and steadfast foundation, this one who's come and he's saved and he's rescued and redeemed. Therefore, because of that, twice he emphasizes this. He says, let us draw near with a full assurance. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. It's the first picture. Saying, let, let's, let's be assured. Let's recognize the steadfast foundation. Let's hold fast to what is true and what is... Let's, let's remain on that. There, there is a foundation. There's an anchor. There's a steadfast, immovable place that we can live without any shadow of a doubt. And then the second part there is, he says, verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works. In fact, the, the original language is stronger than just stirring up. Sometimes you might think of, of, of stirring up as just something, you know, a, little, a little gentle nudge. The word is actually provoke, to be provoked. He's saying, let us provoke one another. There's an intensity, there's an intentionality. Let's be intentionally serious in our efforts to provoke one another to love and to good works. So these are, these are two pictures that I want us to, to wrestle through that I believe are important for us uh, this year and to have as foundations as we go through the book of Hebrews. See, it becomes clear as we read through this book that these were a group of people, and again, we don't know specifically which group. Was it a church? Was it a, a household? Was it a, a community? Was it a region? We're not quite sure, but they clearly were a group that were facing some stuff. There were some things happening. There was obviously persecution. There was uh, all sorts of, of different distractions that had kind of come in for them. And so he preaches and proclaims. He's saying, remember this picture of Jesus. Where else could we stand? Who else is there that's worthy of our worship? He's better. He's better than, he's better than anything the world offers. He's better than... It's, it's Jesus. Like, are you seeing that? And that's where you need to remain. That's the foundation. That's the fountain. Why would you drink from any other fountain? Why would you look anywhere else? Why be distracted by the noise? Just come back and behold Jesus and continually say, therefore, set your eyes on him. 
Like, where else would you look anyway? What, what, what other purpose are you going to live for that's greater, that's of more value than living your life in pursuit of Him? Amen. Thank you. Amen. That's right. That's all we can say. Amen. That, that is the truth. And I hope that we will be reinvigor- reinvigorated, refreshed, encouraged as we look that through. The second part is, so there's, there's a foundation to be Jesus. And that should, as a flow onto that, that should provoke us to stir one another up, to do two things, to love, to love one another, and to stir and encourage and provoke one another on to good works. We're here for a purpose. We're here because God saw fit before the foundation of the world that each and every one of us here would be in this room, that this church would exist. Paul says that in the book of Acts. He says, he knew the times and seasons in which we would be born. For good works, as Ephesians proclaimed, but that he prepared before he laid the foundation of the earth. So I want you to hold those thoughts. That's the scriptural focus, and I'm going to give us an application in a moment. But I just want to paint a bit of a picture, because I know for for many people, um, the last year, the last few years, haven't all been easy. It hasn't all been filled with... uh, strawberries and roses and good things and happy times. Uh, there's some people, I remember chatting to a guy, a good friend of mine, end of last year. I said, hey, how was your year? He's like, honestly, it was the best year of my life. I'm like, praise God, pray for me, because I want some of that. I, I, I don't know exactly where that comes from, but I, I you know, there's, there's some, some people who've had wonderful years, but for a lot of us, there's been some struggles. There's been some journeys to work through. In fact, I said to, said to my wife, as we've been just kind of praying, and um, Christmas in particular was particularly busy. The end of last year was busy. This year's looking as a busy year. I said to her, and she's you know often quite prophetic. She's the prophetic one. I said, "What's the Lord saying to you? What's what's the word for the year?" She said, "One word: survive." <laughs> I thought, "Okay, all right." And so what I want to encourage us that sometimes it's it's okay as you start a new year. It's okay to be like. Uh, yeah, it's, it's not all looking fantastic, but I'm hoping that in our family, I'm hoping that in our church, the Lord will encourage our hearts. There will be capacity to move from surviving to thriving because there is a capacity. There, there is in the kingdom of God for us, not just to survive, but to thrive in every season, not just when things are going well, but so often it's the times that are difficult in the natural, where there's things that are coming against us that, that, that God does the most, that God is preparing to move. It's when we're faced with the, the waters of impossibility, the mountains, that the Lord breaks through and He parts the waters and He moves the mountains. So there was a headline that uh, grabbed my attention. I forget exactly when it was, sometime in the new year, and it said this, 2024, the year of impending instability. Impending instability. In fact, we began this year with an earthquake in Japan, quite a a serious um, and significant earthquake. And there is this sense as we approach the new year, and I I always think my focus is the Lord, but I don't want to be in denial of the circumstances around me either. I I want to be aware of of, the the times and the seasons. My focus is the Lord, but just aware in, in general of things that are going on. And we are in a year where there is great political instability. We just had the Taiwanese election. Uh, That is something that will unfold in coming 
weeks and months. We're, of course, gearing up for the American election. Uh, I think you can't avoid it. Just grab the, pop- the popcorn and embrace, I think, the, the, uh, the show that it'll be this year, because I'm sure it'll take up far too much of our, our, um, our time, even over here. There's potential UK elections. There's 50 high-stake elections that are happening around the world. And that's at a time where the general approval of governing powers is at its lowest in modern history. People are not happy with their governments. There's, there's political instability. There's obviously military instability. We've had wars. There's rumours of wars. Many of them are ongoing. We've had uh, plenty of conflicts, potential conflicts and ongoing conflicts that threaten to perhaps escalate into much larger scale wars. There is, there is a, an instability in terms of uh, the, the national uh, situations around the world. If we bring it home to the church, I, I was um, saddened at the end of the year to see, some of you probably would know this, but there was a, another, yet another uh, major scandal within the church, uh, not our church, thankfully, I should clarify that, uh, overseas within a, a, a major a denomination over there on top of a decade, really, where it just seems to be scandal after scandal, and not just in one particular segment of the church, from traditional church to the Pentecostal church, charisma, you, you name it, there has been this instability. Now, part of that, I think, is, is a good thing. It's the Lord bringing up stuff that needs to be, to be dealt with, that needs to be brought into the light. We ended the year, I don't know if, if any of you caught this, but the, the Catholic church issued a statement just two and a half years ago. They'd, they'd, they'd issued a, um, a previous statement and said, you know, we, we cannot bless what God calls sin. And then within two and a half years, the Pope, the end of, end of last year, said, no, we will, we will now bless what we called two and a half years ago sin. <laughs> and there's this definition and redefinition. Well, what, what, is, what is right and wrong anymore? There's this instability in the church, in the organized church, there's this, this we could say impending instability, I would say this, this ongoing, this ongoing swirling of, of stuff that is happening all around us. And I would suggest that for us, as for the Hebrews that this particular text was written to, there is a tendency when you find ourselves in this impending or this ongoing instability, there's, there's two temptations. There's two issues that the writer is trying to address that are essential for us. And the first one, as I said, is number one, never lose sight of Jesus. And that's what I want to encourage us in. That's what I believe God is saying first and foremost, similar to what Adam preached about last Sunday for, for those who heard that, is to be a people where that is the focus, where that's the foundation, where in the midst of everything else, we are a people who pursue Him, who love Him, who seek Him first. That's our desire and our delight. We're not going to get caught up in all the other issues. There's you know, times and places to talk and to speak into things, but our focus is Him and running after Him. The second thing, this is what I want to focus on a little bit this morning, is that I believe for, for us not just to survive but to thrive, the church and the church in general, but certainly Uh, our church, one of the essential foundations is this reality of being a people who know what it is to love one another, that we are called and designed 
to be a living, connected community. There's a guy I listen to, he's a Melbourne guy by the name of Mark Sayers, and he is, uh, as well as being a pastor and an author, he's a cultural commentator. He had a podcast towards the end of last year, simply entitled, Six Megatrends That Will Define the Next Decade. Megatrends. Um, it's an interesting uh, listen for those who might be um, so persuaded. But one of those particular trends that he identified, he said, we're moving, in his words, from what he termed and what he's unpacked over the previous years, he called the age of anxiety, that stuff is happening, and that one of the predominant manifestations that he's seen in his own church, he's seen around particularly the Western world, is, is anxiety, like anxiety being plague proportions, people consumed and, and uh, crippled, with an, an anxious heart at what's going on around the world. But he said he believes we're moving from, not that anxiety will go, but we're moving really from that being the, the, the dominant manifestation and characteristic from anxiety to anger. And that what we, we will increasingly see is a greater degree of volatility, of people turning against one another. And certainly I, uh, I shared at the end of last year a couple of different stories of just interactions with uh, our neighbours down the road and other people in general. And there, there seems to be this increase of, of anger. Anger against people who are different. Anger against people who think differently. And, and I think we've got to be careful. I think it is a strategy of the enemy to turn the people of God against one another. To turn churches against other churches. It is easy in the wake of a decade of scandals. It's easy to just throw in the towel. What's the point with... You know, church, it's across the board, the leaders are, are all falling into all sorts of moral corruption. There, there's, there's issues everywhere. And I think there can be that, ten- that's what the, the writer of Hebrews is saying. Stand on Jesus, but don't give up on God's people. Don't give in to that, well, we're here to just tear other people down. We're here to isolate, we're here to segregate. We are called to live a different way. So there's, there's this, this part in this passage here. It says, consider how we can stir up. Let us consider how to stir up, as I said, to provoke one another to love. Stir up, provoke one another to love, to love one another and to good works. And there's, there's a couple of ways that we want to do this. Let me set it up this way. Um, I think I mentioned this in a sermon maybe midway through last year, and I realized this is kind of just we're going all over the place, but there's a point. We'll bring it back at the end. I was just seeking the Lord as to, uh, you know, Lord, what, what is it that we really need in this hour and this time? And I think there is a number of things, but there's one that God continually brings back to me. And in that particular moment, I was reading the passage where Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees, He's talking about uh, the fact that the picture of the wineskin. He's saying you, you cannot put new wine in an old wineskin. There's, there's, there's no point. And his whole illustration was that he was doing something completely new and different. And I think sometimes we have focused, and perhaps rightly so, on, well, what is the old wineskin? And it certainly was this sense of, of these Pharisees who were incredibly religious. They knew their scriptures. They knew the Bible back to front, and yet they, they missed the entire point. 
As Jesus criticizes them at one point when he stands before them, he says, you know your scriptures, and yet all of that points to me, and here I am, and you're missing the point completely. And so he, he, he criticizes that, that kind of religion that actually takes us away from Christ. But then I'll seek you the Lord, and I said, to, I said to the Lord in this moment, I said, well, what is the, the new wineskin? What is it? And I believe part of it, and the, the emphasis that came to me was that the new wineskin is family. The new wineskin, it's not a new religion. You see, when, when Christ came, and we spent all last year talking about the gospel, the glory of the gospel, preparing, uh, proclaiming this message, the matchless message that Jesus saves. But as Christ came to bring that message, he didn't come and set up an institution. He didn't say, this is how it works. We've done that, and not all of it's bad. I'm not saying we need to tear down the institutions. But he didn't say, this is what you need. You need hierarchy. You need um, liturgy. You need... He didn't say any of that. And again, it's not all bad. I'm not trying to say, let's tear it all down. He didn't come setting up an institution. He didn't come setting up a political platform. He came and he set up a family. He hung out with people. He lived with them. He loved them. He shared meals with them. He invited them in. And then he commanded them. He said, you know, commission is preach, proclaim the gospel to all creation. But he also gave them the great commandment to love God and to love others. He says in the Gospel of John, a new commandment I give you. Love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples. See, he didn't come to set up an institution or a political platform or a set system. He came to set up this radical people of love who would love one another and live for one another. And that would be the method through which the great news of the gospel would spread. Not through an organization. Organizations are good and they're not bad, but through this living organism. Let me give you one more picture, and then we'll kind of head where we want to head. Um, I know I shared a few stories last year of a, a trip that we had campervanning through Europe, but we had another similar campervanning trip over a decade ago now. We only had three kids through California. Spent six weeks in what can only be described as an American-style camper. So it made our European camper look like a little toy car. This thing was enormous. We just said we needed a camper for five people, and this thing was a truck. Literally, it was a truck. It had a double bed at the back and a double bed at the front. And most of the time, it was fine, because the American roads were built for it. But there was this one little section of the journey where we just started to take a scenic route up through the, uh, the northern... Californian uh, redwood forests, and it was spectacular. I mean, there were sheer drops down. You could see the ocean. We were up so high, often it was you know, fog and cloud all below. And it was beautiful and picturesque. The problem is, it was the one part where we you know, encountered these narrow little roads. And so no exaggeration, there was times where I had kids hanging out the window where my wife was walking out the front trying to just ward off traffic and and uh, blocked the, the path so that we could navigate this enormous truck of a, a camper van through these beautiful wilderness areas. In fact, we found out a couple of years after we were there, they had big floods and a lot of this, this highway section was all washed away. Uh, the point is this, the thing that amazed me in the midst of this spectacular scenery was these enormous redwoods. And if you know anything about redwoods, you'll know 
that they have one of the shortest root bases of any trees in terms of the, the, the percentage of the roof, the root system to the size of the tree. Enormous trees, but very shallow roots. And the reason that they can stand is not that they go deep, but that they grow and interlock with one another. And so they stand and they're dependent upon the roots of the other redwoods that are all around them. And as I, as I saw that, and I know I've shared that story before because I think it's a wonderful picture of the body of Christ. And I know we talk at other times about how we need deep roots in God and not a perfect analogy, so just run with me. But there is this sense that we are called as God's people to defy nature. The, the natural spirit of the age, it's an age of division, it's an age of anger, it's an age of even within the church, let alone without the church, of let's just find someone and we can, you know, absolutely have a go at. Let out our frustration. It's all this person's fault. It's all, it's all that government's fault. It's all the people who do this, that, and the other. And I think there is a unique opportunity. One of the greatest ways that we can thrive as God's people in this season and time that we live now, as I believe it was for the Hebrews, is, is the writer encouraging us, saying, let us consider, let's, let us be intentional. This is what we're called to do, called to define nature by the way that we live for and love one another. What a witness and what a testimony that would be if there was a company and a group of people. Despite the fact that maybe people hold certain different political views, certainly different preferences for whatever it might be. Living lives for the glory of God by the way that we love one another. So as I said, we'll talk about other things, but that's, that's where I want to land. That's the one thing for this year is to encourage us. Let us consider. So I want to encourage you personally. Would you consider this year how it is that as a part of this church family, this is your church family, if it's not part of the church family that God's called you to be, how is it that there can be a greater degree of connectedness? How is, how is it that I can put aside my own preferences, prefer one another, and that I can be open to embark upon a new journey of connection with one another? So I want to give you that invitation personally, but as a church, this is what we have, have um, prayerfully sought the Lord for in terms of something that we believe will help us as a church. And I can say, much of my conversation with other pastors around town last year was talking through this reality of how do we live a greater connectedness in a, an interdependent, disconnected world? Like we are more connected in terms of electronically and friends on social media than any other generation, but we're the most disconnected and lonely generation that's ever lived. So what all statistics say, how is it we can do it? And, uh, you know, some of my other pastor friends and I, we've kind of wrestled through this journey. We've shared some successes and some failures. I know of uh, a good friend of mine, he came and preached while I was on long service leave last year, but um, his particular church, I said, you know what we're going to do? We're actually going to meet once... Uh, a week corporately as a church, and then every second week we're going to meet in homes. And that was what the Lord kind of uh, put on their heart to do. They've been doing that for a season now. 
um, with very mixed response, I might say. There's a lot of people who like it. There's a lot of people who do not like that particular model. I know of um, another, uh, another pastor and their particular church. They said, well, we found that you know, we had some little groups, but all the groups were kind of clicky and um, you know, very hard to break into. So they said that their model they're going for is they're still going to do midweek groups, but every year they'll reassign the groups. Kind of shuffle the deck so that you just get you just get stuck in a stuck in a group with a whole bunch of random people and different people every year to try and build and foster uh, some community within the church. So, look, my hat is off to them for their particular efforts. There's some some other interesting strategies as well, but I think it comes from this place of we recognise in the age we live there is more need for it than ever before. But it's also one of the hardest things to do. How as a church can we really foster and develop that? Because that's what I, that's what I see in the, in, in the, the Scriptures. That, that's what I see is that church was, it was this, certainly was. Do not forsake the gathering together of people. It is. And I love this. And I think there's a, there's a part of this as a church that we do well. I love coming along. I love worshipping with you. I do. I love it. I love these times that we have together. There's a sense in which this is great. Let's keep this, but what can we do aside from Sundays to build some community? And so are you ready? This is what we're doing. We're, we're going to embark on a journey of something we're calling church family hubs. So we have our church family connect. It's once a Sunday. Oh, sorry, once a month on a Sunday where we're all in together. Now to start off with, we're going to do this just once a month. And these church family hubs, it will look like this. We will gather together here on Sunday, as we normally do, worship, seek the Lord, prayer ministry, all the things, communion, sacrament, proclamation of the word. And then after the service, we will then break into homes across the city, little hubs, and share a meal together. So it might be a lunch, it might be a dinner in some instances. But there'll be that sense of Sunday being... Once a month, we gather, we do church, and then church continues past this into that smaller group setting. So the heart of these hubs is this. It's, first of all, let me say it is an opt-in. There's no compulsion. I'm not going to be taking your numbers and telling you next week that you're all assigned to a particular group. Okay? It is, it is, it's an opt-in, but it, it is our heart's desire that the Lord would really use this to build some connection and some... Uh, relationships within the church. So if you're not wanting to participate, that's fine, but don't come complaining to the pastoral team that there's nowhere to connect in and there's no community, etc. So it's a once a month gathering, families. Part of the reason of doing it on a Sunday is that you can come as a single person, but you can also come with your kids. So we've not had any capacity. Families are always saying, I can't come along. Best we can do is maybe get one, you know, one half of the couple along to a particular event. But this is bring your families along. They'll be slightly bigger than perhaps a normal middle, midweek group. There won't be a formal Bible study. It'll be relationally based. People gathering together, prayer and fellowship. So we're doing church, we're worshipping, we're breaking into smaller homes with that sense of doing life together. Um, this is new, by the way, to all of you. I wanted to mention that uh, so if you're like, I've not heard of this, 
Well, neither has anyone else. We're all learning together. So I'm trying to explain, and I wanted to take some time to kind of share the heart behind what we're trying to do. So it's a once a month gathering. I've had some people say, the few that we've shared this with, they're like, oh, that sounds great. We should do it every week. Well, maybe eventually we can head towards that, but we are wanting to make this something that, that people can realistically be a part of. So they're like, I can join a community hub. I'm only committing to gathering once a month in homes, but my hope is that it'll be more than once a month gathering, that it'll be uh, not only building of relationship, but where there's perhaps pastoral care, uh, you know, the groups will have their own connection point, maybe a WhatsApp group, etc. They can contact each other, I need prayer for this, that or the other. Um, I've personally, if I, if I had a dollar for every person that I helped moving house last year, I'd be a lot wealthier than I am now, let's put it that way. And I know Tony and his boys, wherever they are, they helped me out with the lion's share, and that's fine. I don't mind at all helping out with people, but I'd love to see the body activated so that if you're part of a community hub, you don't need to always come to me every time you need to move house. You're still welcome to, that's fine, and I'll direct you on to your family hub. But that there's a group of people around you that are geographically based in your particular area that you can do life with, that you can call upon when there's um, any kind of different needs, that there's relationship building, there's a physical connection point once a month. Uh, The other thing about this, part of the reason of doing it on a Sunday, and I'll just mention this, but we'll elaborate further in future weeks, is it frees up middle of the week then for us to embark upon some intentional discipleship. So there is a real desire this year. That, that's kind of the, the connection, the relational doing life together. Midweek will be uh, a focus on some specific courses. This first term will be largely focused on not only the conference, but then a, a, an emphasis on developing the prophetic within our church life. So uh, that will be happening on Wednesdays. More details will be coming out about that in future weeks. I know it was already in the notices. Um, but that, that enables us, and I would encourage everyone, by the way, whether you feel like you're prophetic or not, the Apostle Paul, he says, I desire that everyone should prophesy. And so th- it gives us that opportunity. Each term, there'll be a bit of a focus. So for this term, it's the prophetic. For the next term, I know this year we've got things like uh, marriage courses and parenting courses and some Bible study apologetic type courses as well that we will run, as well as the Alpha courses, etc. So midweek will be more that intentional discipleship gathered with a specific focus, and then the Vision Family Hubs will be once a month on a Sunday. Did that make sense? I hope it made, I don't normally do sort of an announcement in the middle of a sermon, but as I said, I wanted to give it context, and I'm hoping you're hearing more than this being something that we thought would be a good idea, something we've really prayed into and sought the Lord for and believe this is, this is important for us as a church, this is important for churches in general to grab a hold of if we're really to accomplish what the Lord has for us. So I'm uh, letting you know about that this morning. As of next week, there'll be more information. We'll do a proper launch of the Vision Family Hubs and how you can sign up, etc., and they will kick off in February. So I'd, I'd really encourage you, that's bringing before you our heart, our desire, uh, what we hope is one of the pillars that we can really build into the life of our church this year. And I would encourage you, whether you're new to the church, you've come at a 
perfect moment because you can jump straight into one of these family hubs, whether you've been in the church since the beginning, then you're very welcome, of course, as well to sign up and to be a part of what God wants to do through those, um, through that particular part of our church life. So with all that said, I want to pray for us and then we're actually going to break into little groups to do communion. I think uh, as we have read this passage, you know, as, as I said, there's something intentional about provoking one another, but there's also something uncomfortable. And I, I feel like there's a necessity if we're to do this, relationships and building relationships, they are. They, they require us to step outside our comfort zones a little. And so I want to do something new every week, but I, I think it's important to do from time to time. I want you, after I pray, to find uh, some people around you, probably six to ten, no more than ten, and we will share communion together. Where's Nathan? Is he... We might need someone else to go and grab the communion. He's probably out looking after the kids. Um, Or if there's someone in your group who can go out and grab the elements for anybody who doesn't have them. But I want you to simply to pray, to ask if anyone in the group has some particular prayer needs. And this morning, you're the ministry team. You're activating as the body. You can pray for them. And then after you do that, someone pray, break the bread, drink from the cup together. So let me pray and then Pete's got the communion and we'll, we'll move for that. So, Father, thank you for this year. Thank you for the things that you've put on our hearts as a church. Thank you for the things that you're stirring in the lives of many of us here. And as we said right from the beginning, Lord, we we just desire to follow your leading this year. I pray that it would be a year where we see you more clearly as we study through the book of Hebrews to expand our vision of this incredible reality of of Jesus, of Christ, of who he is, of what he's done for us. And I pray, Lord, that this would be a year that we heed the words of the writer to Hebrews, to not only stand steadfast and to live with full assurance, but to consider how it is that we can stir up, provoke one another to love and to good works, to all that you have for us. Lord, may it be a year that's so much more than surviving. May this year be a year of thriving. And I just want to proclaim that as a blessing over us, a year of thriving in every way, in the midst of circumstances, of, of knowing what it is to be greatly fruitful. I'm reminded of the Apostle Paul sitting in a, a Philippian jail cell, talking about rejoicing in you, talking about the great fruit pouring forth from his life, the incredible way you used him. I pray this would be a year marked with fruitfulness, marked with joy, marked with your grace. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.